Hi there, my name is Paddy Butler. This podcast is brought to you from Liberia, a bookshop by Second Home. What does it mean to be human and how do we think about this in our digital age of turbocharged capitalism? I speak with the brilliantly forthright author of Clear Bright Future, Paul Mason. But as always, a couple of interesting books to recommend. I'm on a bit of a Nell Zink tip at the moment, given her new book, Doxology, is just out. And also because I've interviewed her for the podcast, that will be coming up in, in, in a couple of weeks. But I really want to recommend her first novel, Wall Creeper. Do check it out if you haven't already. Her takedown of male hubris is performed with a, I think, a diamond sharp scalpel and is deliciously funny. The other book I want to recommend is in ways related to today's discussion. John Law, a Scottish adventurer of the 18th century by James Bookham. It is a remarkable story of the man who saved France from financial collapse in the wake of the war-draining reign of Louis XIV, but whose market innovation subsequently led to the Mississippi bubble. It got serious praise in the FT, and there's a fantastic review of it in the New York Review of Books. No doubt some serious lessons for our time in there too. But now let's go and talk to Paul Mason and Clear Bright Future. Paul Mason, thank you so much for coming on to the Libria podcast. A wonderful new book, Clear Bright Future. Um, Tell us about it. Well, I've written it because I think we're in deeper trouble than we want to admit. We've got an economic system that doesn't work. Most people know about that. We've got... Now, rushing at us, uh, the problem of evaporating consent for democracy. People not believing in democracy. I think 52% of people surveyed in Britain by the Hansard Society would like a strong man to come in, break all the rules and take over. But on top of that, we've got the problem of technological control. Uh, We've got the problem of huge corporations and states with so much technological power that they they can influence our thoughts and behavior. And as I reported all this, uh, I mean, starting in 2008, standing outside Lehman Brothers mm-hmm. in New York, and then, you know, in the Occupy movement, in Tahrir, in, in, in the Greek, you know, crisis, mm-hmm. and finally Trump, I just came to the conclusion that there's something deeper going on that unites all these th- three things, the economic problem, the, 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 the failure of democracy, and the problem of technological control. And that thing is what I call in the book the crisis of the neoliberal self. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What started as a social crisis has become a crisis for, like, who are we? Mm -hmm. And, all right, let's define a few things. Neoliberalism, Mm -hmm. for me, is the system we've lived in for the last 40 years. Free market economics crammed down the throat of people, whether they like it or not, by a powerful state. Um, The kind of self that you develop when you live under that kind of system is very isolated, very very reduced to economics. Everything's economics. You know, whether it's, yeah. should we open a new library? Should we open a bookshop? It's all economics. It's not books or or well-being that we're concerned about. Almost the, the, the cost of everything and the value of nothing. So yeah, I mean, that's the classic thing. But, I mean, that's always been true of capitalism. Yeah. Capitalism always reduced things to, to money, but it also had beliefs. You know, the reason Charles Dickens is able to say, hey, guys, it's deviant, uh, 
They were sitting in the East End of London, you know, at the time Dickens was writing, this was an utter slum, and he was saying, look, this is utter bloody perversity because we also, we are Christians, we have values, we believe in the human, the sanctity of human life, and yet you can pick up a dead baby, baby in, the, in the street, uh, says Dickens, because we, everything isn't just economics. We, by contrast, did reduce everything to economics. No, what's the problem? The economics don't work. So if you've reduced everything to economics, your entire belief system is about markets, cappuccino versus latte, Nike versus Adidas. Suddenly it doesn't work. And you think, and millions of people think, well, what, well what's my belief system? Yeah. And um, there's a kind of rule of thumb. It, if a religion fails, you know, kind of, the, the high priest says the sun's going to fall out of the sky and land with a big purple splash in the in the sea on Thursday at 8 a.m. It doesn't happen. People tend to go, what did we used to believe in? Yeah. Not, let's make up a new... They, they go, what, what, what used to, to anchor us? And unfortunately for us, what used to anchor us in Western society was white racism, colonialism, and violent misogyny. And guess what? That's back. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And actually... There are maybe three different very powerful thinkers running through this book, in, 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 and I suppose you're critical of two of them, to a large extent. One of them is Nietzsche, and he kind of embodies those that, that, that free individual go-and-do-whatever-you-want mentality, selfishness. Lucas, Nietzsche is about more than that. Nietzsche says... God died in the 19th century. Um, we had to make up secular morality, otherwise we would, we would have, society would have fallen apart. But there are no, there's no basis for morals. Therefore, um, empower yourself, enrich yourself. Uh, as he says, you know, uh, in, in the writings, you know, um, murder somebody and run away laughing if you really want to. Yeah. Uh, Nietzsche is the all-purpose reactionary philosopher, always comes back in a time of crisis, always comes back as the kind of teenage revolutionary, uh, the kind of the, the, the teenage revolution against the world. Um, it's really easy with Nietzsche's idea. It's you against everybody else. Um, but but what, the reason I end up talking about the, the moral and anti-moral philosophers, Nietzsche, Marx, Aristotle, mm. in the book is because... I think the problem of technological control poses the question of what set of ethics, what, on what basis do we humans demand control of technology? Is it on the basis that we are human? Uh, and and why, why should we humans have control over technology if it's cleverer than us? Um, and my fear is that we've gonna, we're going to walk um, blindly into a set of philosophical questions in the 21st century that are actually very well defined in, in the history of Western philosophy, but nobody knows anything about them, of course, because everything's economics, so why should you know about philosophy? Yes. Yeah. Um, and what we're going to end up doing, I mean, Nietzsche is the, 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 the uber-philosopher of Silicon Valley. Yes. You know, oh, he lived in the 19th century, but yeah. Silicon Valley is Nietzsche. It's Ayn Rand, it's Nietzsche, yeah? Um, a kind of millenarian as well, isn't it? A kind of a... Well, look, I think the millenary. I uh, the, the, what do we mean by millenarian? We mean like you know, the end of the world is nigh. Mm. Um, there's an aspect of that to Silicon Valley. Well, thinking. I guess I guess in, in terms of millenarian, I guess the emancipation or you know the, this kind of tech utopia. 
Yeah. I.e. that tech will free us. That's the, that well, was I, the original see, message. I believe tech will free us. Yes. I believe that, you know, my definition of human nature is that, you know, we're, we're a species that, that evolved by accident into a bunch of, uh, by nature, thinkers, mm. uh, imagineers, team workers, cooperators, engineers, technologists, and therefore we're the only species that has a, a, a verifiable social history. Um, and that social history tells us that progress is possible, both in terms of material progress, so GDP per head was about the same in the year 1500 as what it had been under the ancient Greeks right. to okay. 1500 years before. That's but, incredible. But it, it is now hundreds of times that yeah. because we discovered technological progress. It's a relatively recent thing. We discovered what? Science, rationality, yes. and technological progress. So, so we have a future. And that future can be what we want it to be. It can be an absolute tragedy and a disaster, nuclear holocaust and climate change, you know, chaos. Or it can be the technological conquest of all the other th okay. threats. And so I am a tech utopian. The, 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 the point is I'm a social tech utopian yeah. in the sense that I believe we do this as a species. We don't do it as individuals. And what Silicon Valley, even in the 90s, adopted very clearly was that, was that Ayn Rand, Frederick Nietzsche, uh, we do it individually. Um, and if we're not careful, these guys are going to program the tech with that philosophy. Uh, and it's really dangerous because people may know, you know, people who, with a passing you know, reference to, who've kind of heard of Frederick Nietzsche, may have heard of the work, the idea of man, superman. Supermensch. Yeah. Uh, the Ubermensch and the Untermensch. The Ubermensch is the the all-powerful, all-seeing, clever, alpha male yeah. Yeah, for Nietzsche. The untermensch are the people who get put in gas chambers. Mm -hmm. and, um, and my fear in the 21st century is if we end up programming an artificial intelligence with Nietzschean values, mm -hmm. it will see itself as the Superman okay. and it will see us as the, as the, under, the, 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 underclass. the underclass or the under-race. Yeah. And um, it will act appropriately. Okay. Uh, so the, the book is not a, a, I'm not a moral philosopher and the book is not a moral philosophy book, but it is a, it's a book about politics that makes the plea for all of us to become intelligent clients for moral philosophy. Well, also it's kind of, it's not kind of, it, it, you are calling back to value ourselves as humans. What is the essence of being human? And Marx is critical to that as well. Well, it is to me because if you, it's quite easy. The, 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 the game we play around the table, I've done this with um, a huge room full of very clever people in the Netherlands, bankers, philosophers. The question is, on what basis do we demand control of the artificial intelligence? Mm. And nine out of 10 people, like people listening to this, will, will, will go first for... We have a divine spark. We have a soul. You know that um, that uh, famous picture on the on the roof of the Sistine Chapel, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Oh, yeah. God pointing his finger at Adam's yes. finger, just about to give him the soul. Michelangelo, isn't it? That's yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, most people kind of operate with that, but the problem is God, you know, in Christian mythology, gave humans a soul because they were the cleverest thing on the planet. Right. They're kind of logical. Yeah. You're sitting here, you know. Um, you know, I don't believe in religion, and I believe religions are, in fact, the product of 
human attempts to understand the world. That's what they're just inadequate. They're, they're rough, rough drafts of, of philosophy. So people were sitting around thinking, we're different from all the animals because we are really clever. We must have a soul. We, yeah. This thing that animates us must be immaterial. No. If you don't believe it, if, if you do believe in that, you have a problem as follows. In this century, there'll be machines cleverer than us. There'll be machines that can emulate love. They can, they can be programmed to think they've got a soul. If they can be, they've been programmed to pray, to, to make devotion in the Muslim, the Jewish, the Christian religion. And they'll be Christian. They'll be, they will be devout Christian computers if we want them. Why don't they have a soul? Yeah. Um, I'm a secularist. I don't believe in God. Yeah. I, however, want us to be able to answer that question. And for me, why should we control machines? The answer is, we are a different species. We are a species of engineers. We are a species that has imagined these things, and therefore we must try to keep them under our control. And we've had a 200-odd year since the Industrial Revolution. It's a 200-plus year history of losing control yeah. of processes and machines. The factory, the early factory. Yeah. yeah. If we lose control of these things, that could be a one-way journey. Okay. It, we might not get control back from them. Okay. Okay. Um, the, the 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 process. I guess the when you talk about blindly walking into that, it's a what we have now is, is are things like cryptocurrency. Yeah. And Facebook, uh, you know, they endeavoured to launch this new <laughs> cryptocurrency called Libra, which uh, now we set up after the, the revolution, 1688, central banks, or the British central, mm, yeah. central, central banks, uh, 1694, I think it is. What we're, what we're dealing with now is the, I guess, Silicon Valley tech, big tech taking over control of yeah. currency. The implications are, cr are crazy. They are, but let's put it in context. Um, yes, the dawn of the kind of commercial capitalist era, 1690-something in Britain, mm. earlier in the Netherlands, mm. in the Dutch Republic, right. you needed a central bank because you needed just somebody to issue the currency um, and to act on the sovereign's behalf. Right now... Of course, we're seeing numerous cryptocurrencies. I'm not so impressed with um, Libra. I'm not so impressed with that at all because it's just half a blockchain. It's just, it's just, uh, it's just, it's, it's PayPal with a bit of blockchain added onto it to add a few noughts to the valuation of, of, of Facebook. But it's kind of immutable, though, isn't it? It's kind of like it's locked in. Well, um, it, just wait, because one of the things I argue in the book is we should break up Facebook. Never, never, never mind Absolutely. for the reasons for or, or issuing its own currency, but because it's, it's, it's suppressing technological innovation and it is um, data mining people's uh, data um, to an extent, uh, uh, of course, you know, facilitated the rigging of elections and all that, and it facilitated become one of the biggest platforms for hate speech in the world. Yeah. But ultimately, we're going to find out states are, are still powerful, and one of the things that states really jealously guard is their power to issue currency. Right. Um, in a way, that is all the state is. Yeah. You, you could argue in the modern world. Um, so. I'm not, I don't invest, I don't hold any cryptocurrencies. I believe the blockchain is an incredibly uh, powerful technology. 
Uh, you know, it, what, it, what it is is that every contract made is replicated in every other contract. It's, it, that's, that's an incredibly powerful technology and it's a decentralizing technology. And if we get to a point where we don't need a state, as I hope we will, because I'm a, a, you know, I'm a, a, I want a classless, property-free society based on, on full automation, then blockchain would be very useful. And I think it's useful now for doing things like democratizing uh, the, the citizens' relationship to the sure, state, sure. as in Barcelona, so I'm in the city of Barcelona. But what we must always remember is that, that these corporations are susceptible to state activity. And, and Facebook can, and I think will be broken up. It'll certainly be regulated. And but, as, well, they're starting now, aren't they? They're, they're, there's a lot of- European Union's beginning the, the, yeah. the, the process. Um, and Elizabeth Warren, the um, the American uh, presidential candidate for the Democrats, has, has argued for for breaking up big tech. Um, all the, the existing competition law and ethos of capitalism says that it should be broken up. I mean, the, it, if I go to the bank to get, if I go to the ATM to get money out, I don't have to go to my bank's ATM. Yeah. I go to any ATM yeah. and get money from my bank. And if I want to send it to my friend, I'm, I send it from my bank to their bank. And there's no big deal. Yeah. Now, what's wrong with saying that Facebook, the front end of it, is like the ATM network? You know, it, it's neutral, but behind it sit maybe ten providers of friendship services that compete with each other. Yeah. And one of them could say we don't do any advertising. The other one could say we don't rig elections. Another could say you pay us, but you get a Rolls Royce streamlined service. I'd pay for that. I don't use Facebook anymore, even though I'm, I mean, you know, I, I was yeah, using yeah. it. I don't know anybody who actually actively uses it. I mean, do you think the, that's after Cambridge Analytica or? I think Cambridge Analytica, the, everybody's, apart from right wing nutters, everybody's got an issue in the sense of an issue of oppression. You know, half the world are female, uh, lots of lesbian and gay people. Lots of black people, lots of trans people, and if every time you log on to this thing, all you get is hatred of yourself. Yeah. You know that is some somebody across the world has phoned you and sent you a message saying you're an asshole. Mm. Then why would you go on logging on with it? I mean, you've got to be there because it's there. Yeah. But I think that the first government that actively promotes the breakup will will achieve it. I think Twitter would naturally be a, 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 a nationalized a kind of monopoly, a nationalized um, service. Um, so, like with cryptocurrency, so so, so crypto, so crypto is in just in the same way. I I, I almost read this libra. Uh, what's it called, libra? Um, libra, libra. <laughs> um, I almost read this libra thing as an insurance policy against being broken up because they'll go, how can you break us up? Yeah. We're a currency issuer. Honestly, I think that I think that cryptocurrencies are technically possible, but their social possibilities are limited by the fact that, hey guys, we have capitalist states and their entire power rests on their monopoly of money issuance. Okay. Um, going back to more arguments in the book, 20th century thinkers like Foucault, Althusser, this is, I think this is really important. It's an amazing point, you know, in the sense that you have postmodernism. You're going after postmodernism, rightly yeah, so. I think it's the slave ideology of the last yeah, thirty years. It's yeah. just the, the ideology that told us nothing, nothing better is possible. Yes. Yeah. 
But yeah. Um, just in the sense, like, but also like to put it, <coughs> like Foucault and Althusser, they, they, they're almost like, there's, there's a fatalism there. There's not just that. Louis Althusser is not very well uh, read anymore. Uh, he, he, you know, controversially uh, killed his wife and, you know, was, was became a... Was it, was it, in his time, was the preeminent left-wing uh, philosopher. Um, and what he said was that Marxism is fundamentally a doctrine of history as a machine. History as a process without a subject, that is, without any human activity affecting the outcome. Okay. It's like a big kind of Game of Thrones situation with the gods or Jason and the Argonauts. History just kind of you know, uses us as a puppet. And from that is where we got, where postmodernism emerged. I mean, Foucault studied with Althusser. And as a Marxist, me and other humanist Marxists are in, 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 not just highly critical of, of Althusser, but utterly opposed to this. Yeah. We believe people make history. History, as Marx once said, history does nothing. It makes nothing. It, it kills no people in wars. It builds no factories. It conquers no countries. People conquer other people. Um, and so one of the only virtues of being 59 is that you, you can remember the emergence of postmodernism out of this extreme, and remember it was extremely Stalinist, mm -hmm. pro-Cherman Bow, pro-Brezhnev, form of communism that Althusser believed, uh, gave birth to a very, obviously in many ways opposite, sexually liberated, psychologically and psychiatrically obsessed uh, theory Postmodernism, which which gave some great insights to the situation that we're in, but to me, and in a post-colonial way, also, yeah. Well, look, they they, they critique colonialism, um, and they critique white power, and they critique, yeah. Look, we shouldn't underestimate the power of those ideas. Exactly. But I do remind, personally, remember, the left had all that. You know, the Marxist left had all those critiques. I don't think there's anything better about Foucault's critique of. Or, or colonialism or madness than the classic Marxist one. However, mm. however, for the postmodernists, um, what they eventually did was they created a profoundly anti-humanist philosophy that many people implicitly subscribe to, that human beings are not in control of their, and cannot be in control of their circumstances. We're a bag of bones, DNA and, 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 and influences, and the self is socially constructed, and it's, it's shattered, as Foucault puts it. Now, all these things are probably valid observations in a time of defeat, in a time of yeah. retreat for the working class and the non-emergence of big systemic challenges to capitalism out of the other movements like climate or feminism. Sure. Um, so, the, the, we, you know, you're a bookshop read Foucault by all means mm -hmm. not just for beginners read the actual Foucault the Collège de France lectures late in his life that, that are absolutely superb but one has the right to critique them mm -hmm. and where where it went was it, it created an attack on truth an attack on rationalism and rationality that I think and I argue in the book 
paved the way for what the right is now doing. Well, it's a questioning of science as well, isn't it? Yeah, like, I mean, there's this guy, Bruno Latour, who's famous Bruno for Latour. saying that all science is socially constructed, mm. which it is, mm. uh, but he said that, you know, good science is, is just as constructed as bad science. Yeah. Uh, it's constructed by prejudice and tribal behaviour among mm. scientists. Um, and then he, he kind of, uh, after many of his critics had said exactly this, he 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 reacted in the early 2000s by saying, oh shit, I've just given the right the reason yes, not to believe exactly. in climate change. Exactly. So he U-turned out of it. Uh, but you can still study Bruno Latour's original thought at university if you want to. Yeah. Um, I, I would recommend not doing so because he himself has rejected it. Yeah. But the idea that all science is just a form of tribal behavior and no more true than say um, the early beliefs of, of, of Stone Age people. Yeah. Um, it, is bullshit, yeah. um, but it was postmodernism that gave rise to it. And I mean, an extreme, shall we say, an extreme version. Of well, it. You, you you have to say that, he, that you know the guy's been given numerous medals by the French uh, academic elite. He is the most famous French thinker yeah. um, after you know Baudrillard. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and um, yes, but no, I mean the kind of pop. The pop cultural version of, of, of postmodernism, which is a, a critique of modern society, holds, you know, a postmodern society. You know, it's a cultural desert. It's everything looks, yeah. looks like everything's, you know, it's the matrix. Everything's not what it seems. Fine, I've got no problems with that. It's, it's the philosophical basis of it, which says human beings are um, not capable of effecting change. Um, and they're not capable of thinking beyond their circumstance. And that the self is not capable of, as it were, centering upon one human being. That, and, also, and also, again, giving more leave, more force to the argument then of, well, why, if we don't have uh, ascendancy over ourselves, then what we give into the, the, the computers? Well, they were right about one thing, which is that the human, that the, the, the working class had, had weakened to the point of... of of losing its historic role of, as the kind of progressive force in society. That's what postmodernists said. But many of us who, who have argued against them say, well, no, in addition to that, a new subject has emerged, a new, a new force in history that can change things, young people, connected people, uh, all of us who are exploited in the wider um, networked economy. That is a, a force for hope. Um, ultimately, postmodernism was a kind of was a kind of theorized hopelessness for me. And I think that against it, I want to set something called Marxism. And, you know, the book, if I could have written the book without mentioning Marx, I would have. But, you know, Marx is being mentioned. Well, actually, on that, there is a, there's really, at one stage, you say, well, if there's one thing I could save from Marx, it would be. This is theory of human nature. Yes, exactly. The unfolding of the biological potential within yeah. human beings the, to change the, the, the we, world. We have, a, we have what, what Aristotle called a, a telos. We have a purpose. Yeah. doesn't mean we have a destiny. doesn't mean we have an inevitable outcome as a human species. But we, we, we do have an attribute, which is that we tend to change the world around us in a way that no other species does. And this gives us the possibility of liberating ourselves. And potential. Yeah. And that, that to me is the non-religious, you know, non-faith-based um, argument for 
a human story that is that has a, be- a, a beginning, a middle, and an end, and the end is liberation. Yeah. It's not perfection. We're, I'm not talking about perfecting the human being. I'm talking about um, creating many forms of transcendence of everything that we've we've lived through for for, for the two hundred thousand years since we became a species. And I think that. And this is crucial for climate change. Yeah, I mean, look, climate change poses point blank uh, all the questions, all the questions of the last 400 years. Actually, for people like me on the left, it it, it wrenches us out of our our traditional view of time. See, about 100 years ago, Marxists started to say, hold on a minute, hold back your horses, Uh, let's not rush into revolutions uh, because capitalism itself probably got quite a lot more developing to do. We need to develop ourselves, we need to develop the working class, we need to develop industry and who could have imagined computers, who could have, you know, E.M. Forster did actually, E.M. Forster wrote a fantastic short story about a computer controlled society, you know, but most people couldn't see it. So there was always the argument drawn for, as well from, from evolutionary biology. Um, simple organisms evolve into complex organisms, i.e. better things. A worm becomes something better over evolutionary time. So give it time was, was actually not a bad idea, especially when you look at what happened to, to revolutionaries who didn't give it time, like Lenin, you know, he wanted to push time, he wanted to compress time. And what you end up doing is you create a new dictatorship. So give it time was always an argument of the Western left but we haven't got any time left. We've got 10 years yes. to halve carbon, and we've got 40 years to get rid of it completely. The last last thing I wanted to talk to you about is um, Black Lives Matter. Yeah. And the rise of alt-right. That's, yeah, I mean, you, you, you discussed that in the book. That is, again, that's a, a kind of a product of rise of feminist... Um, Again, neo kind of feminist movement. Black Lives Matter. Look, we, we see we see movements. Black Lives Matter, Me Too, and the Extinction Rebellion that are different. They look a little bit the same, and they were the like son of or daughter of the Occupy movement, but they're different. Okay. And here's how they're different. Occupy, when at its height, was the occupation of space, the demonstration of what society could be like for a few weeks, and the demand on government to change. This is more, this is a demand on everybody to change. I work a bit in the theatre and Me Too has absolutely radically transformed the way that the British theatre works behind the scenes. What you can do in a rehearsal room, uh, what you can, how men and women relate, how directors and producers relate to female actors um, has absolutely begun to change. How drama schools teach, um, how sex is portrayed on on stage, all is now the subject of what it should always have been, thought, critical thought. Um, some older men, directors, have lost their jobs. They'll never direct again. It, it's not a big uh, fanfare about it. We don't necessarily know who they are, but it's, it's happened. That's a, that is a granular transformation. That is the way I think most social movements will now work. BLM, Black Lives Matter, already began that. Tr- no, it hasn't achieved as much because America is an utterly racist, white supremacist society. Well, that's the thing. The, the, the platforms, they're given platforms, aren't they? These dis, disenfranchised young white men. I mean, it's absolutely awful, disgusting behaviour. They, the alt-right, the white supremacists are 
We need to be careful. There's a theory that they're a reaction to the liberation of women and, and black people. Mm -hmm. I don't think they are. Okay. What I think, i.e., that would kind of justify them, wouldn't it? You know, you've you you, you put too much um, trans stuff on Tumblr, therefore we went reactionary. No, I don't believe that. I think what happened is that there was a deep performativity in the neoliberal neoliberal era, which we, markets can only measure behaviour. So we so we were encouraged to behave in certain ways. You know, have a nice day. Yeah. You know, the, the kind of scripted interaction we yeah. do with baristas. You know, yes, thank you. Can't laugh. Yeah, do you want coffee? Do you want chocolate? On that, all, all that yeah. formality stuff. But beneath it, there was no box to tick saying I believe in all this, and in, in many people didn't believe in it. Um, and now. You know, you. If you want to understand why so many young men are fucking reactionary, it's it's because they've lived through the consequence of a one-time technological liberation of female sexuality by the pill. Yeah. yeah you know, the the pill had immediate um, economic and social impacts in the seventies, but only now has the real impact of it because. Being on as it, it's collided with men's self-image as this kind of hulking, yes. brooding kind of alpha male football, you know, American football playing, you know, Jason Bourne. Yeah. Why are there so many people who are incels? Why are there, why are so many people who are kind of beta rebellion incels? Well, Jason Bourne says twenty-four words in the latest movie. I know this because I worked on that movie, and it's a great movie because as long as you understand, it's 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 fiction, but he. Does doesn't have a girlfriend. You notice this, and, and and we've been bringing up men to kind of think. There's the role model. You know, the silent, non-speaking, yes. uh, sexually, uh, you know, abstemious Jason. You know, is the hero. Then you wonder why. And then men really meet real women, young men. They meet real women. Fuck, they're completely uh, liberated in their attitude. Yeah. They want what they want. And how's Jason supposed to deal with this? Yeah. Well, that's where this comes from. It's not. You know, it's defeatable. It's, we can educate people. But the first phase of educating people is to absolutely understand it is going on. It's on the voice server of your Xbox and your net yeah. and your, um, your PlayStation. And it's in the, and it's in the student uh, life and it's um, among young people. We, the left, the progressives, need to be at war with kind of the kind of alt-right male power mm. uh, narrative. And um, the adult left, the kind of classic, you know, lefty left, you know, people like me in suits and kind of, you know, you know, the, the, the classic parliamentary left, they don't know anything about this. They're, they're looking at it, why, why is sexism suddenly so popular? Well, because it's, a, it's an alt-right meme yeah. that's been created for male resistance to the rise of female economic and, and social power. Um, and those of us who, who celebrate the rise of female economic and social power and wanted to go further have to realize that, you know, that that is the front line between progress and, and reaction. Brilliant. Paul Mason, thanks so much. A pleasure. Well, that was one hell of a comprehensive discussion. And in many ways mirrors much of Paul's book, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Explosive stuff and so, so important. Um, as always, check out secondhome.io for full events listings. And see you next time.